You're listening to Pixel It, because the only thing better than playing a video game is reading about one. On today's episode, we will be discussing up through Chapter 8 of Resident Evil The Umbrella Conspiracy. As a general content warning, there will be spoilers and discussions of depictions of gore. And now, on with the show. So, Hi. hey, <laughs> welcome hey. back to Pixel It, everybody. Uh, my name's Kevin, and with me, as always, is is my good friend, Phil. We're here to talk about books that are like video games. You know, keep your expectations <laughs> low and always be delighted. So anyway, we yes. were in uh, chapter five-ish of this book, uh, Resident Evil, The Umbrella Conspiracy, right? Conspiracy, that's a, that's the title? Yes. Yeah, yeah, The Umbrella Conspiracy. By S.D. Perry, who, Phil, I believe uh, you've been in contact with now. Yes, because it's it's not enough to read an old book and get all excited about it and junk. I had to go ahead and reach out to the author and see if she wanted to uh, join us at some point on the show. She she uh, she admitted that she's terrified of uh, podcasts themselves. I don't know what that means, but with that kind of fear, uh, you don't want to pry. Uh, so but she said that she'd love to answer any questions we might have. So I'm going to be collecting these questions because obviously we've been kind of musing out loud on certain aspects of this. Right. And so it'll, I think we'll, uh, we'll have to put together a bonus episode, something like that so that we can, uh, we'll, uh, see if, uh, we'll read her answers. Bring- we'll, we'll throw some questions to her and read her answers yeah. on a, on a bonus episode. Look forward to that in the future with some of our questions being answered. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's jump back into it with chapter five of uh, Resident Evil, The Umbrella Conspiracy. And I believe we were just about at the scene change in Chapter 5 where it changes perspectives back to to Jill and Barry and Wesker who are waiting for Chris to come back from his little scouting report. They're hearing gunfire off in the distance, uh, which alarms them, uh, rightfully so, I would say. Uh, And so Barry and Jill actually end up Going after Chris to, to rescue him or at least see what's going on. And Wesker insists on staying behind and, you know, holding down the fort there. Wesker, super and brave. Just you go. I'll stay. He's in a hero. Wide open space. That seems mm-hmm. pretty safe right now. <laughs> I think if there's one thing that we can take away from this book, it's that Wesker is a hero who will never at any point in the storyline betray us. He's never going to betray us. No, I I have complete and utter faith in a man of his caliber. Absolutely. He's he's the captain of the stars alpha team for that very reason. He's not a beta. He's an alpha. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's two episodes in. And I don't think we're going to. I feel like we got another few more episodes of that joke to. I'm not. I don't know if we're shaking it, man. I really don't. All I know (laughs) is that Wesker's no cuck. That's all I know. <laughs> all I all the only thing I can truly rely on in this world is the steadfast knowledge that Wesker is a real alpha male based on wolf science that doesn't make sense. Based on 100% accurate wolf science that is totally accurate and not false in any way and it would be a shame None. if if anyone out there in the world based their entire worldview upon 
the 100% totally nope. real wink wink nudge nudge wolf science that the only is... the, the only thing the only thing that i'm more certain about than wesker being a non-cuck hero is that that science makes perfect sense there are no leaps in logic and there certainly has not been a rescinding of that scientific information from the actual scientist who brought it up certainly not and no. there's there's the so yes we're on the same page there's a such thing as betas alphas and i believe um i believe there's a new one it's uh like an omega male it's like it's like the one sigma that, yeah um so anyway uh wesker none of that al- is in any way a waste of time so anyway, Wesker, the alpha non-cuck is waiting non-cuck, in the yep. um, waiting in the lobby and Barry and Jill go to help Chris because there's there's Zambos loose. Well, there's, they don't know there's that Zambos Barry, afoot. Barry and Jill don't know that yet. They don't know that there are Zambos afoot. They just know that no. there are skinless dogs running around. But Chris right. is very well aware of the Zomboys skittering about the, the mansion at this point. He is dealing with them in a very physical way at this point they talk about how joseph is dead and and they refer to vickers as chicken heart again it almost plays out like the opening of the game that was actually what i I wanted to ask at some point because i as i said i have i never played the originals this i believe if you play the game as jill it starts the game after that opening cinematic it starts in the lobby with jill barry and wesker and you hear gunshots off in the distance and you, Jill and Barry, go check it out. And that's where the line comes in. There's a famous line read from Barry where he finds a, pu- a puddle of blood in the dining room. And it's it's something like, what? Blood? I hope this isn't Chris's blood. <laughs> God. What was the story behind that uh, with the actors they chose? So, yeah, um, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but, you know, we're here. Um, We're here. (laughs) It's that time. It's that time. And I swear, ladies and gentlemen and ladies and gentlemen, we are going to we're going to get past a few more chapters tonight. Don't you worry, but we're not. We're not. This is as far as we go. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. The voice actors in the original uh, Resident Evil, they actually were not necessarily bad voice actors. So what happened was these English speaking voice actors were hired to read lines in the voiceover booth and they were provided the lines with zero context. So it was basically <laughs> like just a spreadsheet that was printed out and handed to them and they just sat there and they read all the lines and they did a bunch of different takes with a bunch of different inflections for each line. And then it went to Capcom an audio edit audio engineer that works for Capcom started editing the lines together. The thing is the audio engineer didn't speak English. So what he did is he started editing the lines together, how it sounded to his ear. So he was trying to like make the coolest sounding read of the line. So he would take multiple different takes and splice them together. So that's why you have these, these sentences with these really weird inflections. So you would have blood. I hope this isn't Chris's blood. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the story behind 
the voice actors in Resident Evil because the guy who was the voice actor for Wesker was actually a voice actor who worked in the gaming industry um, after that for some years later. And I believe it was um, either the second or third voice actor for Wesker was was actually talking about that um, at a panel once. And that's where I got kind of a lot of this information was there was a panel uh, where this question was asked about, hey, what what was the deal with the voice acting in Resident Evil 1? And finally, the curtain was lifted a little bit that it wasn't just some really obscenely terrible voice actors that stumbled into the booth and forgot how to speak like normal human beings. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and fortunately, we don't really have that issue here. But I do think it's funny because I do, you know, you don't have to have played through all the video games. You just have to have a working knowledge of video game culture to know those references, the bad voice acting, all that stuff. And it's still a little jarring when you're reading these characters, you know, in a novel. And it's <laughs> it's not not played up for the camp yeah. uh, that you're kind of knowing is coming in the in the first video game. And just as an, a, another aside, Resident Evil, the first one, there hadn't been a ton of games that had voice acting in them um, up until that point. So this was 1996. I would say voice acting really came in in the previous maybe three or four years, and it wasn't super common yet. So that it it was it was an early voice acted game. There were a bunch of other games, adventure games that were um, had amazing, phenomenal voice acting. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of those were American companies and with English speaking uh, audio engineers listening to English speaking actors and English speaking voice uh, voiceover directors. And they were all on the same page. There wasn't kind of that cross lingual issue that you had with Resident Evil. They had full access to all the context of (laughs) what the hell was going on. All the context was was provided. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's and that's why you didn't have those kind of reads in uh, Monkey Island or or Salem a number of other games. Uh, Yeah. Sam and Max, Day of the Tentacle, you know, all voice acted and, uh, you know, not to mention any number of FMV games. Exactly. uh, Which which were corny and cheap, but for different reasons, completely different reasons. So anyway, that brings us back (laughs) to our heroes. They end up in the corridor looking for Chris. They don't find Chris. What they do find is the dead body of the stars uh, Bravo team member. Who uh, Chris had caught yes. getting chomped on. Kenneth not Sullivan. Not being the actual zombie, as I seem to recall, I yes. thought it was. Yes. Because my Ken- reading comprehension skills are badass. Oh, geez, it's Ken. Kenneth Sullivan. Oh, geez, it's Ken. One of the best huh. field scouts Barry had ever known, and a hell of a nice guy. There was a gaping ragged wound in his chest, chunks of partly eaten tissue and gut strewn about the bloody hole. So we get like we get some nice like, oh, yeah, he, right. was, a, he was he was one of the best. He was a nice guy. He had a whole favorite his, characters. He's, <laughs> he was the best. He is the favorite character of the characters that are alive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're really going to miss him and you're going to have to take their word for it. <laughs> His left hand was missing and there was no weapon nearby. So um, his he got his hand completely ripped off. It's never really described like obviously they mentioned earlier the earlier in the book, his hand was found uh, 
I believe in the game, this that might have been the opening FMV. Um, it was them finding his hand. I'm just wondering, logistically, how did he make it that far into the mansion by himself anyway? Like, why isn't well, you know, these stars agents, they're they're built tough. They're built tough. They're built to go solo. But why was Kenneth the one missing a hand? Not with anybody else. Did they all not with his hand? (laughs) Why was he a not with his hand? But B, why wasn't I don't know. Is there a medical expert on the team? I don't know. We'll find out later. (laughs) Yeah, they'll find. I'm sure they'll let us know. The young man, he was a chemist or Ken. He was I like this part. Ken had been a quiet Decent sort, did a lot of work in chemistry. He had a teenage son who lived with his ex in California. And I think that they're planting the seeds for a sequel here. I think his teenage son is going to come back for vengeance. That would have been a good Resident Evil 2 is so-and-so Sullivan coming back for revenge, revenge revengeance on the Umbrella Corporation. You know, I I will say, I will say, to be fair, the the whole point here, Barry's thinking, he ends up thinking about the guy and his daughters at home and he's a father and all that stuff. And that's that is more for Barry than anything else. It's setting up the fact that he himself is a family man. Right. It's it's a nice little transition to it's an exposition transition. Yes. The best kind. Oh, yeah. they And they find the uh, what they they're still thinking of as a cannibal killer. It's right. corpse in the same area. And they realize that that must be they figure that's that's probably Chris's handiwork. But Chris isn't there. I'm actually I was actually a little I, in, in this particular scene. I think I kind of lost track of which room Chris was supposed to be in. Like for most for most scenes, I could actually keep a good mind's eye as to where each character was in the mansion based on the fact that I've played the first Resident Evil game so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in that sequence, I feel like I just lost track of where Chris ended up. This this, this is a running theme with me in this book. I, I Because what happens a lot, you, you see this pattern of like one person goes into a room, checks it out, does something in the room and then leaves. And then another person eventually will come into that same room see the change or recognize something that the person from before may have done right. and, uh, and go, Oh, and make kind of an observation and keep going, which is, which is an interesting idea, but <laughs> I lose track of where the heck everybody is a lot. In this book, what this book presupposes is maybe he didn't, uh, sorry, just had to work a Royal Tenenbaums reference in there. Um, yeah. what yeah. this book presupposes is that you played the game. <laughs> Right. Right. And that becomes clear as it goes along. I'll tell you who isn't in the room you're expecting at this point. That would be Wesker. They go back to the the fancy ass uh, atrium of the estate and Wesker mm-hmm. is gone. And a loud chord plays. This is just a reminder for later uh, future. Kevin, make sure you cut it out. Insert a loud MIDI chord being played. Thanks, man. <laughs> you're the best. Future Kevin, you're, you are, you are, you're doing God's work, my friend. Yeah. He's, he's a really great guy and he's 100% for sure going to cut all this back and forth about the MIDI chords out. Chapter six. Chapter six, um, which uh, starts off like <laughs> it's, it's them, you know, it just, picks up right where we left off, obviously, with the same characters, Barry here and Jill. They're looking for the guy. They're worried, especially now that they've seen, you know, a bunch of uh, they've seen a 
you know, zombie. Some, and uh, it a... leads to one of my more perplexed that I think one of the more perplexing quotes in this book. They're, they're kind of trying to figure out how to deal with what's happening. And they, they and they're, they're, you know, in disbelief that zombies are what they're dealing with. And Jill thinks to herself, after a lifetime of reading trashy novels about serial killers, is a cannibal zombie so hard to swallow? To which I respond, yeah. Yeah, that is that is a perfectly reasonable uh, uh, stance to take, Jill. You uh, you can always draw the line at zombies. Oh, by all means, by all means, draw it like, far before we know that serial killers are real. Huh? We've caught them. We've, the the FBI has a whole division dedicated to them. Uh, we got pictures of them and everything. We've got pictures of them. Several of them have been executed by the federal government. We're not going to yep. get into whether the federal government has right to do that. On this podcast, well, well, we um, know they're there. We know they're, they're around. We know they're around. They're not Bigfoot. Zombies yeah. are more like Bigfoot. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, probably even less plausible than than Bigfoot because we have photos of Bigfoot, <laughs> and also less friendly. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that, like Bigfoot. Like if I found out Bigfoot was real tomorrow, I'd be kind of pumped. If I found out zombies were real tomorrow, I, 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 I don't. I don't, I wouldn't feel good. I'm not feeling good thinking about it right now. There's the the line. And it was that creature. The last thing Becky and Pris saw. And I think that was, it was like a nice little tie, nice little callback that it's really bold to say like, Oh, these little kids, these little girls that she knew went missing and then like tie it back to like the gore of, of zombies and all that stuff. Um, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that was a- grim. Like that's actually a really grim moment. It's a really grim moment. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing with these books. You know, I think we all, any of us, I don't know. I don't know if this is how it works for kids nowadays. But back in these days, uh, if you if you had the kind of parent who wasn't going to let you play violent video games, uh, and you didn't have any friends who had it or something like that, there was probably a pretty good chance that you could at least find the comic book or novel that it was based on or something and right. get kind of a similar sort of thing. Yeah. You know, like I was reading the aliens versus predator comic books long before I was able to sneak away and watch either of those films. There was a lot of, of, of kind of, uh, using different forms of media to, um, to sneak around the the parental consent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of what this book is in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, if this if this is, you know, I don't think that's its main purpose, but that's certainly how people, you know, who were 13, 14, 12, whatever, you know, when they found the book, that's how they would have used it, probably, uh, if not just to supplement their own you know, right. addiction to this franchise they liked. Um, I don't know if kids do that nowadays. It feels like maybe I don't know if you can keep anything from kids nowadays. Uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit easier nowadays. I mean, I I had um I had a I had a group of friends these these four brothers. I would always go over to their house and uh, you know we would walk walk the mile over to the uh, the local video store and um, just grab a uh you know grab the goriest horror movie we could find and yeah. um it was it was relatively like you know their parents didn't want them watching it but their parents also weren't necessarily on top of them 
like <laughs> paying right. attention to the, yeah. to what, what we were watching upstairs. <laughs> Everyone had the one friend who yeah. either the parent was a little too cool or the parents just weren't really paying that close of attention. Right. You know, I got to play Wolfenstein 3D with my friend because his parents, and I, I'll never forget this, or, uh, he got to play it and there was no issue. I wasn't allowed to play it. Uh, and uh, and uh, and his dad, I remember saying, well, we trust him to know the difference between a video game and and real life, which is a, a pretty forward thinking way of going yeah. about that. But we were like in fifth grade. So I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right around that time, you had people calling Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and the like uh, murder simulators. Um, right. But that's that's probably for another day when we that's that's, enough. that's that's definitely when we well, die. <laughs> We can, uh, we can we can talk about moral panics on a bonus episode or something like we, that. We, and, and let's face facts, we probably will. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and now, now, at this point, Barry gives Jill uh, this. This is and here's a reference to the video game that I knew no matter what. He gives her an old set of lock picks that I, I presumably she lent to him at some point, like he had he had expressed an interest in learning how to pick locks uh, and and obviously she's the daughter of this well-known gentleman thief i don't know if they ever use that term but it's but stuck in my head now head cannon is now a gentleman thief yes he's got a badass mustache and you know what a monocle i'm just gonna say it he's got he, a monocle he wears he has a monocle he has a little bowler hat he uh yeah. he wears uh all black but it's a nice mm-hmm. refined uh knit black turtleneck so he he's he's got these lockpicks on him. She doesn't have any, I suppose, but he he lends them to her because guess what? They're going to split up because that's what stars do. Stars. They they're they're on their own, by the way. But yeah. I, 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 he doesn't say the line, which is take this, Jill. It's a lockpick. You should use it. Because you are the master of unlocking. <laughs> and it's deeply, I tell you what, I got to tell you, this is another last episode. We talked a little bit about the difference between it, just like how this book just screams like 90s action yeah. kind of thing to me. Right. And um, that that is ironically enough, that is not the time when they would have made a reference to that in an adaptation. Right. Because they want to be cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. If if this was written nowadays, you bet your ass they would have given her, like, some two-paragraph thing, like, back in the old days, they used to call her the master. Like, just go. <laughs> totally. Some- Let's justify her being called the master of unlocking for 30 right. minutes. And it might have been, and it might have been tongue-in-cheek, or it might have been deadly serious but they absolutely would have done it we cannot resist ourselves nowadays we've got to explain every detail and put every easter egg on prominent display for all to see uh so that that's i don't even and that's the thing i bring it up not because i think it's a missed opportunity but i kind of appreciate the fact that it was there (laughs) kind of okay with it uh you know what I you know what we really are missing out on though is what is a um is a, a David Foster Wallace adaptation of the first Resi Evil game. I think Oh, that it's one. like and it's like a four four page long footnote explaining <laughs> the master of unlocking. I think I think we need that. We also need maybe a James Joyce uh version of the book. <laughs> 
where up through the mansion is (laughs) up through uh, arriving at the mansion is one sentence. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Just like this, you know, stream of consciousness. Insane, you know, and I'm and I'm just the man to write it. I think You're I'm going to make that man. happen. I think I think you could actually channel your inner James Joyce and uh, and and make it work. We've seen a lot of weird slash fiction over the years, and a lot of mashups and that kind of thing, but we have never seen Joyce and Resident Evil. Joyce and, fiction. Uh, uh, Joyce yeah. fiction. Yeah. I think is a is a new. I think that should be a new growing uh, niche of the fan fiction uh, market. Is is going to make it happen? What? Let's let's take a story we'll about have... Mega Man and how would James Joyce tell this? I love it. I love it. The James <laughs> Joyce version of uh, uh, Shadow of Colossus is really the thing I'm looking the most forward to. Yeah, actually, that wouldn't. That uh, I feel like that wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That, yeah, you say it out loud, and you're like, "Well, you know, you know." Actually, might not. I don't know. So I'd probably give that a go. So they do what you're supposed to do in every good horror story, and they split up. Jill takes out the little mini computer. Um, yes, that mystery man Trent. And you know what's hilarious about the mini computer is now that once once she gets to like looking at the the map um, of it. It's literally describing how the map looks in game <laughs> in Resident <laughs> Evil. Yeah. And I was like, yes, she got the typewriter in there. She got yep. she got the lockpick in there and she got the uh, she justified having the mini map from Resident Evil the, or the pause menu map from Resident Evil actually in the book. And really, yeah. my hat's off to to S.D. Perry on that. Because that is it's impressive. That is top notch fan service right there. <laughs> it is. It, there's there's the word for it. Fan service. Perfect. <laughs> and and it leads to, by the way, like this message, this this that is the most resonant evil thing in the entire book so far. Uh, we're about we're almost 75 pages into the book. And she finds this. She oh, she turns on the little mini computer and the quote is beneath it was a single line, a message as enigmatic as she could have expected from Mr. Trent. Night keys, tiger eyes, four crests, gate of new life, East Eagle, West Wolf. And I was just like, holy crap, that is about as Resident Evil as it that gets. That is like, as Resident Evil as it gets. And yeah. what I love and it I. In an upcoming chapter, we're actually going to get a little bit of like self-reflection on some of these things. Um, we'll we'll get to it in a moment. But I, I do like that um, that she took the moment um, like the author speaking through a character to kind of call out how like silly and contrived a lot of this stuff yeah, was. Yeah. And, for, and for, for anyone who's listening, who by chance never played resident evil or anything like that and you don't know what the the whole one of the whole major conceits of resident evil there are basically two the first one is zombies i think you've picked that up by now the second one is weird alice in wonderland style puzzles uh you know keys with symbols that uh, uh match up with uh with the uh, keyholes with the same symbol. It's like basically taking, if you ever played an old eight bit video game and you had to find 
the star key to open the star door or something along those lines. That's what Resident Evil did. Yeah. But it's in the midst of this horrifying zombie disease breakout. And it's it's such a strange yeah. conceit. It, but it's it's really addictive at the same time. It it's take, wonderful. It takes some of the, I would say, moon logic of... Yeah of Sierra online and, and Lucasfilm games, adventure games, point and click adventure games, and then mixes them, mixes that with an action, uh, an action shooter set in a horror environment. And Oh, by the way, there's also, and this is strictly in the game. There's also inventory management, which is, Oh yes. Which is a whole separate thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like basically three different genres kind of jammed together and there's zombies. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that, the, that, that bit of text is super resident evil. If we were rating things on a scale of, of 10 of zero to 10 and 10 being the most, the platonic ideal of resident evil, like Plato would look at it and say that is as resident evil as, as something can be. Yeah. <laughs> And why am I still alive? And why am I still alive? And the answer would be yeah. zombies, T-virus. Zombies. It's exactly. Checkmate. Everything gets explained. Checkmate atheists. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the section of the chapter here ends with uh, uh, Jill basically recognizing that the terror that the city is going through, it, it absolutely is coming from the Spencer estate, that this is, this is, this is the mystery to be solved, that they are in the right place. Uh, and, uh, boy, howdy, have they got a ways to go? They do have a ways to go. And then we slam cut to Chris back to Chris in back media, to Chris. in media res. Um, he's in the middle of the action, shooting a zombie in the gut a couple times. And, uh, on the following page, there's, there's just this wonder, a wonderful description festering, necrotic wet <laughs> i love so it so good <laughs> so good it's so good um, i love it so uh so i there's always at least there's always like multiple descriptors so he felt its hot fetid breath against its face against his face i i love all that i i, I yeah. eat all that up I mean, if you're it's the talk- only thing that you're not going to really get from the video game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I, we I, talked about before. You're not going to smell the rotting corpses. Yeah, I, I really. And lo- if you're and if anyone's out there developing that, uh, please stop. Please do not do that. Please stop. Do not do. No, yeah. no, thank you. No, no, we're no, not. No, no, no. We're not asking for that. And boom. Finally, after his his hallway and Zambo encounter. Uh, up and down, um, we get a brand new character. That's right. Can you tell me a little bit about about Rebecca Chambers? Right. Yeah. The first thing they tell you about Rebecca Chambers, by the way, the very first sentence tells you that she is 18 years old. They really made that's that there's a really strong bullet point put on that one. Is Rebecca Chambers? Is that is that canon? Is she 18 years old in the game? She, I mean, like she is. So I it, it okay. really is up in the air as to what is or is not canon. I don't I'm not sure that that is specifically said anywhere in the game. But where it is said and so it might as well be canon is in the instruction manual. 
And let me take a moment ah. to talk about instruction manuals in the 1990s. Beautiful. Uh, instruction manuals back in the day. I mean, games nowadays do not have instruction manuals. Usually those the contents of what would have been in an instruction manual is found within the program itself. And that's fine. It, it doesn't matter. Sure. Instruction manuals, though, were useful for for several things. Uh, first and foremost, they were useful to read on the car ride home after renting the game at Blockbuster. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. So you get yourself nice and pumped up you get your, and you get some of the instructions. You, you figure read, it out. You, you know, you knew those controls before you even turn the game on. Um, the yeah, other thing absolutely. is they would also provide um, instruction manuals or provide story context. Um, so, for example, um, in the Legend of Zelda, the very first uh, Zelda game, um, there was a little bit more story context and there was a whole bunch of artwork in the instruction manual mm-hmm. that is um, it's it's not seen anywhere else. I'm sure. I mean, I'm 100 percent sure that it's been collected into Zelda art books nowadays. But back in the day, that was like that was your view into what the world of Hyrule really looked like beyond the eight bit limitations that you were, you know, the facsimile that you were playing um in the game itself uh this was an artist's rendition of the world of hyrule and it could really spark the imagination provide a little bit more context so for resident evil um one of the things that the instruction manual had was it had several pages of like a little dossier of each of the characters in the each of the stars in the game and one of them is rebecca chambers listed at 18 years old as this youngest of the stars now Keep in mind, all the other stars are are ridiculously young, too, except for Barry. So I believe Chris is only like 22 who years is, old, who, who is is just infirmed old, just at the right, ripe age of Phil's age. No, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Abs- just disgusting, incontinent, 19 great, great grandbabies. <laughs> What the hell is he doing out there? What is he, he doing? should be dead. He should be dead. At least retired. He um, he, yeah, he is he's just he's using up resources. He is definitely too old for this shit. Um, this is ridiculous. So anyway, yes, instruction manuals. Yeah. They were great back in the 90s and they provide a lot of ex- additional context. And for if you wanted to, you could definitely consider them as part of the canon experience alongside the video game because it was this sl- supplementary material. I, 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 I do. I mean, plenty of people reference that stuff. these yeah, days. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so Rebecca yeah. Chambers, she is 18 years old. She's hiding, you know, and she's she's. She's got herself a, a big old can of bug spray, which is, exa- um, is actually exactly how Chris meets her in the game. Oh, that's OK. Good. She, that's good to know. Chris, you go into the room, you get sprayed in the face with bug spray by Rebecca Chambers. Right. And I and, and it leads to it leads to uh, 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 another great quote here. He, she she sprays him in the face with this uh, with this stuff. And she re- realizes immediately her mistake. Uh, and then. Uh, in the book, she it says the alpha dropped his hands, face red, and she finally recognized him. It was Chris Redfield, only the most attractive guy in the stars, not to mention her superior. And I think this is one of the most important moments in the book because it informs us that Chris Redfield is a dreamboat. He's just adorable. 
you want to put them in your pocket or marry them. Get your fan fictions ready. I mean, uh, honestly, it. there's already been. Don't. I mean, there's already plenty of fan fictions about. Chris we we had a we had a quick moment with Jill. Now we've got Rebecca swooning all over him. He's breaking hearts. He's he killing zombies and breaking hearts. He is. He is. He's not just breaking hearts. He's stomping on them. Literally he's stomping on them as a yeah. He's taking them out, man. Like he's just that is what he is here to do. She's just happy that she can't. Uh, he can't see the blush on her face. She found. She's found a key with a sword engraved on it. Ah, and we just found a sword that. door. I wonder if these two things are interconnected. And that brings us to our first random ass Resident Evil puzzle piece. It's uh, it, it's going to be a theme. We're not going to ever. I don't think we ever see someone actually solve the puzzle because people there are so many moving parts in this book. So many people coming and going. Yeah. That inevitably someone arrives upon a puzzle that was that was basically it's inferred that it was solved by one of by the other people. somebody uh, elsewhere in the, in the house and and the book exactly actually does a decent job um sd perry did a decent job kind of uh setting the reader up uh, for we're gonna cut we're gonna cut to these characters in the middle of stuff and yeah, it, it kind of gives fine. that. Yeah. It, it's fine. It gives that that appearance of while you're reading, following Jill's point of view, Chris is still doing stuff. Right, right. Uh, and, it, and it makes sense. It keeps it clipping along. No one actually. We don't actually need to see someone take the key, put it into the lock, and turn the key. Like it's fine. Exactly. Uh, we can we can trust it on that one. Yeah. Um. And and by the way. She's uh, she's she's in this file room and there's this huge open trunk. And there's it's full of stacks upon stacks of papers. And she explains she's she's that they're uh, mostly chemistry. It's brain chemistry stuff. Right. And lets us know that this 18 year old secret agent uh, is also a, uh, a, a a has a background in biochemistry. She has so- just recently graduated and stars was her first job. She is a yeah. she's a a wunderkind, uh, so to speak. So she's she graduated college at 18, I believe. And 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 leads to another quote that just baffled me. Uh, so she there. She's just talking about her background. Uh, it's internal monologue about her background, getting a little information on her. And basically, so she go. She went through basic training, got some field experience. No one else had shown much interest in hiring a whiz kid. What? <laughs> like what? I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't 18 year olds out there with massive backgrounds in biochemistry. That stuff does happen. Absolutely. Uh, most of them are on the, the TikTok. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is the oldest thing I've ever said. But there are a few of them. <laughs> there are a few of them out there that uh, that 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 really do get their shit done. Uh, but they tend to get picked up. Uh, you know, now don't get me wrong. They do tend to get picked up by evil corporations. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's the thing. There's actually a, a, a real easy way to jump to like, why why didn't Umbrella hire her? Right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, this 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 crazy evil corporation that wants as many people to help them with their bio weapons. They, they wouldn't want a loser kid like me. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. They would. They've, that's, they've specifically shown interest in, you know, 
later in later games in the series, they have all sorts of like teenagers and whatnot doing things. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and you're 18. They wouldn't have to pay you as much. And we know that they're into that. They're they're in. Yeah, they are. They, oh, they are. They are cheap. They're as cheap as oh, they are yeah. evil. Why do you think this stuff keeps happening? This and, and it's keeps... not because they put a ton of money into security no. and resources. At some point, they realized that the cleanup was cheaper <laughs> than just securing it properly in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> Umbrella Corporation. Forgiveness is better than permission. <laughs> you know, that's just they're all over it, man. I think that's going to I think that that line is going to start the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense that makes sense so uh, yeah she says and, and brain she she gets into the brain chemistry stuff and she says brain chemistry but these numbers are all screwed up the serotonin and norepinephrine are too low but look here the dopamine is off the chart and this is this is where it's like kind of cringy 90s because you 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 can't say this anymore we're talking big time schizo and right and and i'm i'm just i'm just reading what's in the text i do not condone using the term schizo it is a um it's kind of insulting way to um it's 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 terrible it's don't don't and it's and it's and it's of its time it's of its time it's very of its time in the 90s calling somebody who uh you didn't like and who might have acted irrationally at schizo was very common um right there were other <laughs> words that i am not going to repeat that were often used uh to mock people's intelligence it is it I, is just kind of jarring to hear it from someone who's like a professional biochemist she's a bio, no matter what way you slice she's it. an 18 year old biochemist so it felt a little uh, felt a little weird, but it also is like, just remember, this is 1990. This is supposed to be like 1996. Sure. It, it, it makes me think of like I went to the doctor once and, and it was one of the first times I'd ever worked with this doctor. And he was a younger guy and uh, I was much younger than I that I am now. And I think he wanted to like put me at ease or something like that. And I was concerned about I don't even remember what it was, but I was concerned about something. And he said and he said something like, so you do your balls hurt? And I think it was like I, I was I, I was worried that I <laughs> I don't think it was anything as dramatic as like finding a lump or anything. Right. That I'd rem- that I'd remember. Uh, but he was like checking symptoms for something. And it's, you know, I would expect a doctor, even a young one to go. Uh, so was there uh, discomfort in your testicles or something? <laughs> he just looked at me. Your balls hurt. And I'm like, you don't please don't do that. Please don't, <laughs> don't try to relate don't. to me on that level. Just right. Please be the professional that I am. I am paying you way too much yeah. money to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I'm I'm the idiot uh here. Please please be as square as you possibly can in this moment. I'm begging you. Uh yeah, so that that, that is a, a jarring thing to hear whether it's 2021 or the fact that she is a, you know, biochemist say that is just, yeah. yeah, a little odd. It does. The chapter does end in a funny way where it's like he's found her in this in this little room and she sprayed him in the face. And then he goes, OK, I'm going to go ahead and use this key you gave me and leave you here. Good luck. <laughs> Hope he it was, all works out. He was uh, he was 100 percent the cool jock just giving the uh, the brush off to the nerdy freshman. Um, right. <laughs> 
we're we're cooking now. We're on chapter seven, and the master. We have made, of, we have, we have made so much progress. So much progress. I think we're going slower <laughs> tonight than we even did on the other uh, other episode. But uh, we one hundred percent are yes. <laughs> If you've played Resident Evil and you know um, you, you're going down, I believe it's east uh, east wing of the building. There's this hallway that kind of hooks to the left. Um, it's a very famous scene. You're just walking, uh, walking down the hallway and bam, right through the window comes the dogs. It's one of the earliest jump scares in the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very iconic. Um, so... Uh, Crash, the window behind her explodes inward, a lithe, sinewy form lunging into the hall, growling and snapping. Um, Love it. And uh, we get a we get a doge, a a mutant doge that jumps in and, um, you know, it dies after she wastes a ton of ammo on it. (laughs) A lot of ammo. (laughs) Like, yeah, the 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 Resident Evil player in me was like oh 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 just just run just run but she does but she does get rid of it she takes care of it and she actually gets to kind of get a closer look at it uh because this is the first time that she's been dealing with a dog where she didn't have to also be running from it at top speed and and she you know did it, i like the quote here her initial impression wasn't changed it looked like a skinned dog it's like okay good glad we got that confirmed the uh the field experiment there on on the dog absolutely she finds our first our first like riddle door uh, here. And it and it has a, when the sun sets in the west and the moon rises in the east, stars will begin to appear in the sky and wind will blow toward the ground. Then the gate of new life will be open. And she remembers the list from Trent's computer. So uh, now we're, that's another crests. that's another ten out of ten on uh, the Resident Evil uh, scale. <laughs> oh, big time, big time! You know, plato- yeah, yeah, platonic. Just like what the hell? Yes, that is that is about as Resident Evil to get. It's like a riddle that's not really a riddle. It's like eh. like no one had to sit down and really parse this one out. Right? It's like oh right, there are crests. I got to find them and put them in the right yeah, order. That's, got it. That's the thing. Is like. It's like it is there a word for that like a riddle it's like something that seems like is there a german word for that something that seems like a riddle there but, has to be but, I, I, yeah a riddle not a riddle but a great impression of a riddle it's great impression uh, of a puzzle. It, it's it's literally just a four piece puzzle right yeah that's it and if you could find the four pieces you're, you're probably fine that's the key it's not this the, the poem slash riddle isn't the isn't the tricky part it's going all over this damn house and finding the four different crests and popping them into place. That's, that's the key. Right. Uh, literally. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So she's, she's kind of taking that all in and then starts hearing uh, the howl of dogs in the distance and, uh, and, and realizes that, uh, you know, she's, she wastes a lot of ammo. They've got more of those things coming and she's just going to have to because this is the exit out the back of the house. Right. And as much as she wants to use it to get the heck out of there, she can't do it until they found the crests, put them in place, and then she can run off. Uh, but in the meantime, they are trapped. In the meantime, they are trapped and we are going to cut back to Chris. And he is uh, he is making his way back towards that door 
that uh he got the key for um and i yeah i i um i highlighted a a little thing here as i mentioned earlier apparently headshots were the best way to kill a zombie just like in the movies and it feels and he like just and he just claps himself on the back over this every way. sorry every time every time he is he makes something that is he, ma- he makes a connection to zombie movies he's immensely yeah. proud of it so he gets he gets the the sword door the key works oh yes he is in my favorite room of all time he is in the okay. room of itchy tasty Itchy Tasty. I love Itchy, itchy Tasty Room. Itchy Tasty. Jim Sterling, um, James Stephanie Sterling, uh, they had a entire segment on their show years ago called Itchio Tasty. And it is a reference yep. to this exact moment. And I love, 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 love that SD Perry put in the exact word for word diary pages that you find yeah. in this page. It's actually and one who of the blame her really. It's really, it's, it's just, really one of the best found like diaries ever in a game because of the way it, it kind of the writing of it kind of disintegrates over time. I love it. Um, so, it's oh st- yeah, it's, it, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts out with like normally, um, we're not, not going to read the whole thing, but it basically starts out normally with a guy recapping his like poker night um, and just talking about the new experiments. Uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing with a new experiment that looks like a skinned gorilla. Um, and and we haven't we haven't seen those yet, but they are going to um, they're going to eventually show up. Um, yeah, but they're coming. They're coming. Oh, yeah, they're coming. Um so and that's and at May 11th, basically shit hits the fan and um, the, the T virus gets out. Um, they have to put on their their suits and everything, but it's too late. It seems like they're infected. The guy starts talking in detail about how his skin feels, how it's swollen and itchy. At one point, he talks about how just like a lump of his skin fell off. It is it gets into really grotesque detail, but also the guy's brain starts to um deteriorate his mind starts to deteriorate um and so the penultimate entry is on may 19th um and after a a lapse of three days um and the guy wrote fever gone but itchy hungry and eat doggy food itchy itchy scott came ugly face so killed him tasty and then there's one more entry undated that just says itchy tasty <laughs> it's it's so good it's so it's so good. so good i love it i love it because i how often does that how often do you actually get uh the zombie thing from the perspective of the person t- turning into the zombie it, it's it's usually such an outward thing you know right it's our horror reacting to someone so that i think that's a great touch we're in chapter eight and um, chapter eight's a quick chapter, but an important one. Uh, Jill and Barry went their separate ways and we we really get into the mind of of Mr. Albert Wesker. We find Wesker. out how misogynist he is. <laughs> he's, 
he's he's a really shitty person all the way around. He's, he's just a it's just a huge piece of shit. <laughs> it really is. And I and I for one was deeply shocked to find that out. I did not see that coming. I'm still shocked. I'm still not sure they aren't setting us up for a double double cross here. <laughs> because he was just so clearly the hero. Uh, he is. He was clearly. So I mean, he's, sure. he was. He was. He was Iceman. He was Val Kilmer. And right. what now? He's the villain. I. Be, I, I mean, we can still eventually we'll be able to ride his tail anytime. <laughs> but for now, for now, uh, no, he's really. We talked, have to think he's the bad. He guy. has talked himself out of the uh, the shirtless volleyball game. Um, yes, he is no Val Kilmer, sir. But basically, this chapter is where revealing Wesker's truth. He is, he's known since the beginning. He's known since the beginning. And this is actually, I, I misspoke. This is not the chap, the Wesker chapter with the misogyny. This is just the general shittiness. The misogyny has yet to come. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, he, he has a lot of moments. He has a lot of moments. And it's like, he has a lot it's of almost, moments, but it's almost jarring because there's like, he just seems like this even keel, like, you know, He's he's got his high and tight haircut and he's got his his uh, his his aviator glasses on and he he just seems like he just seems normal. He just seems like a, an officer. And the moment you get inside his head, <laughs> he it is mask off the shittiest person in the building. Yeah. Yeah. The moment you're in his internal monologue, it's just he is the most nakedly evil bad guy like he might as well be twirling his mustache it's absurd (laughs) (laughs) and so in this chapter he comes up with the the plan of blackmailing uh barry in order to get barry to to help him with his plan um now he hasn't actually enacted this yet uh he's just talking about uh barry though barry burton was a family man and both jill and chris trusted him um, and then it, the final line of the chapter is this might actually turn out to be fun. <laughs> it's like, Jesus right. Christ, man. <laughs> and it's just, it's like, he's, uh, it's, it's interesting because he is, he's decided he, he knows the, the important thing is you find out that he knows all about this place. He knows about the conspiracy. He's here to cover up the incident that led to raccoon city, uh, getting, you know, doused with zombie making gas and uh he's he's here to help cover that up uh by himself in front of a team apparently uh and he decides he's gonna blackmail barry and he's just gonna use everyone because he knows about all the puzzles that are coming up in the weird carnival ride that this house is and rather than do it all himself he's basically just gonna kind of quietly follow everyone around yeah and this you know take advantage i I think this is this is really the opportunity that that the author sd perry takes the she takes this opportunity to kind of comment on the house um through through wesker where um i don't know i'm finding finding the line um um uh spencer was bats no two ways about it and he had had the house built with all kinds of tricky little mechanisms a lot of that spilly silly spy crap that had been so popular in the late 60s spy crap that's going to make this job twice as hard as it needs to be hidden keys secret tunnels it's like i'm trapped in an espionage thriller complete with mad scientists and a ticking clock so like oh it's like wesker you speak for us it's like acknowledgement (laughs) that like yeah no this house is weird that it was it was designed like this. This is not 
Um, this is not a, a common thing, uh, except when it becomes a common thing in later Resident Evil games. <laughs> right, right. When it's just the world we live in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts on the first eight chapters so far? I think that the cool thing about the book so far is that it shows you both the advantages and the disadvantages of writing this out as a book as opposed to a video game. Right. Like you get those cool moments, you know, that, that the itchy tasty moment, for example, it's, it's in the video game. Yeah. Yeah. And you can really take your time with that, but I guarantee you that most people who played the game don't, don't necessarily remember that. Mm. Uh, because they were just trying to get, they weren't necessarily picking up all the puzzle, you know, reading sure. all of the journal entries and all that stuff. Uh, so when you're, if you're willing to sit down and read a book on it, well, then that's a totally different experience and you're going to be able to better appreciate something that maybe you didn't notice in the game. Yeah, you can, you can, you can jump into the little details, the little lore building nuggets that are left around in the game, but yeah. a lot of players are just going to flip through and, you know, move on. Right. Right. And and you get things like we talked about before, smells and, and experiences that that you're not going to get in the video game. On the other hand, the puzzles. <laughs> puzzles are already tough. already. And we barely. And that's the thing. At this point, 100 pages in, we really haven't done a lot of puzzle stuff just yet. No. And it's like the entirety uh, of the Resident Evil experience is puzzles. And the puzzles are the best part of the game as far as I'm concerned. And just impossible to write around. You know, it's like, impossible. how do you write something thrilling um, about somebody solving what outside of the context of a game is extremely contrived? Especially when it's these styles of puzzles, like we said, it's not a riddle, you know, it's like, say what you want about, for example, the Da Vinci Code, you know, uh, uh, say what you want about the writing of that or anything, but it, it had actual puzzles in it that they would explain to you and you'd work your way through. And right. it was like a mystery in that sense. And well, it was a mystery, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so poor SD Perry, based on the source material, uh, She's got. It feels like she's still got to use the source material, the the armor key, the sword key, the 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 crests, all that crap. She's still got to use it, right. and those aren't really thrilling to read about. No, and and what's amazing is that, um, and we'll get to it soon, but she does a decent enough job, kind of fast forwarding through some of them. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And we are definitely going to talk about that because it is, you know, I'm as a writer, it is one of those things that I will look at it and go, good choice. Good choice. There were some good choices made here. Yeah, (laughs) There was was some solid edits to to the the source material here. Um, And so that 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 about does it. Um, My my final thought on the first eight chapters is that it would have been really neat if this uh, if they had given her the opportunity to turn this into a choose your own adventure book. Rather than uh, oh now that would be fun wouldn't that be fun that would be fun all right hold on I'm gonna look that up I refuse to believe hold on email choose your own adventure why did I say it that way um all right now there is one apparently there is one can you escape Resident Evil's choose your own adventure Halloween dungeon 
I guess it was like a social media thing that you could play in oh. the uh, in a browser or something. So not quite. It wasn't a book. Yeah, that's uh, lame. But but I think you're absolutely right. The same era, a little earlier than this, but like classic choose your own adventure novels within the Resident Evil yeah. franchise. I had a I had a, I had a Super Mario Brothers book from uh, probably five years, four years before this, that was a choose your own adventure book. And it, it yep. feels like it's like, that would be a great way to translate a game to, to uh prose format. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it still has the gamification aspect right. of it, but you can still what you're reading. So you can get a little more of that literary oomph out of it. That's really interesting. I wonder if that ever got pitched or anything like that. And I guess by this time, choose your own adventure books were kind of on their way out. Yeah. If they weren't completely out by then. I think they might be making a comeback. We'll see. I think. Oh, they are now. Like nowadays people are kind of like getting in that nostalgic mode. And so I'm, I'm buying, I've been every now and then I get really drunk and uh, (laughs) I will drunk eBay like you do. And, (laughs) Lately, one of the drunk eBay things that I'm constantly looking at is finding uh, the old uh, Dungeons and Dragons choose your own adventure Ooh, books. Ooh, that sounds Because I had a bunch of those when I was young. Yeah. And they're out there, man. They're t- you just got to, you can find them at a, at, if you can find them at a reasonable price, they're out right. there. Um, but yeah, that would be, I love that they're coming back. It's, it's really neat. Well, if anybody should pitch it, I think uh, it's you and I, my friends. Yes. This, and that's what this podcast is really all about, guys. We're just we're we're announcing our uh, Resident Evil Choose Your Own Adventure book uh, coming to coming to uh, a, an Amazon, find, you know, find, world contingent near you. Find booksellers near you, and that'll do it for the exactly. episode. Good night, day, or wherever you are, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening to episode two of Pixel It. If you haven't already, subscribe and leave a five star rating. We'll be back in two weeks with episode three of our dive into Resident Evil, The Umbrella Conspiracy. Until then, follow us on Twitter at PixelitPod for updates, or bookmark our website, pixelitpod.com. Take care.